0: Good morning and welcome. So thankful that our God of glory is also a God of grace and that he showed that grace to us most gloriously through his son, Jesus Christ, who defeated sin and death for us on the cross. And may that truth never get old for us today. If you are a person in need of grace, you are most welcome today. And I encourage you, I encourage all of us to open the doors of our hearts. And let the grace of Jesus and let the King of glory in and watch him work and see him change your life. Praise God for his work in our lives. Let us stand for our call to worship and we'll read responsively from Psalm 24 to begin this morning. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory?
1: In Psalm 51, David records his confession and sincere repentance for sin that he tried to cover up. He also makes a promise to the Lord, a promise to teach others, other sinners, the way back to God. Today, I am reading Psalm 32, entitled "A Maschiel," which means instruction. Some scholars believe that Psalm 32 is the fulfillment of Davis' promise in Psalm 51 to teach us the blessedness of forgiveness. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin The Lord does not count against them, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Lord, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up the iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you, you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, Lord, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And God said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which has no understanding, but must be controlled with bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Yes, many are the woes of the wicked. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. So rejoice, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord and be glad you upright, sing all you who are upright in heart.
2: All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. I love that song, and I know that sometimes I struggle. I, we're going to talk about healing today, and it says right there in the scripture, He heals all your diseases. And we see sometimes he heals them in this life and sometimes he waits for eternity. And so today we are celebrating that he can heal and asking him to heal, but also celebrating our eternity is secure in Jesus Christ. Amen? And so that's where we hold our rock. And the song that the choir is about to sing, we have a medley of older songs that you're going to enjoy. You can feel free to sing along. But that's what we're celebrating today is our rock. Our eternity is secure in Jesus.
3: pray. Father, I thank you for giving us this place that we can gather together as a church family, that we can praise your name, what you are doing among us and what you are doing around us. And so, Father, I ask that this morning, uh, That you would bind the evil one away. That our eyes and ears and heart would be open to what you want to speak through your word. May we be people that treasure your word. That we fall in love with it each and every day. I pray that that word would transform our lives. That we would make an impact for your kingdom in our neighborhoods, in our work, in our families. And so I just pray right now, Lord, that you would have your way in this place. It's in your name I pray, amen. Well, if you have your journals that we've uh, been using, I wanna invite you to turn to page 40. We are gonna be looking at Matthew 8, verses 1 through 17. And I want to invite you to stand as we read God's text here that he has written for us. We stand out of reverence, believing that this word transforms our lives. Read with me, starting in verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion Came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. In the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother in law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you that uh, made it through all the rain. The faithful are here. want to welcome those of you that are joining us online. And I hope that you are having a great week. You're ready to start a new one and dig into this text. My name's Phil Shields. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And uh, as we are going, as we jump into things, I first want to ask you to do something, I want to ask you to be praying for Pastor Hannibal. Uh, I know he was with us last week, and uh, this week he's not. He has spent the last week traveling with our high school group on their mission trip in Ohio, and then he flew to the Dominican Republic for meetings with the Gospel Coalition, and. This morning, he is preaching God's word uh, at Vic and Wesley Troutwine's church in the DR. And so I want to just invite you to be praying with, uh, for him, for his travels, and then he will be back with us next week, uh, probably with a lot of stories uh, after the, the week he's had. Well, we're in a new section of this Matthew series, and uh, I think the further we get into it, the more and more I'm falling in love uh, with this, this uh, book of the Bible, Matthew. But as we are looking at it, we are starting in a section that we've entitled, The King's Mission, so if you have not, you notice we are uh, starting with some new colors. We have our stickers, and you can get those out in the atrium, pick it up, put it on uh, the front cover of your journal as we start in this new section. When you have a mission, you end up, you end up having this thing where you want to have a heart that is very passionate. what that mission is. In fact, this morning we're going to be looking at a text that we see the heart of Jesus and the heart for his mission taking place. He was pursuing this mission, and what we notice is he, uh, he comes down off the mountainside. So last week, we ended on the mountainside, uh, that section of the Sermon on the Mount. Now he's coming down off the mountainside, and what he's going to do is he's going to start putting meat on the bones. Everything he said, he's now going to live out in action. He's going to reveal to his disciples what they need to be doing, what they need to be believing, where they need to be placing their faith. Matthew 8, as we read that text, I believe that we're going to see something important for our lives. Because I believe that for many of us, we enter here this morning and we're in a rough season. There's some of us that we haven't told anybody what's going on, but we're going through pain. Now, you might be entering here and life is great, but at some point, pain is gonna enter. And I believe that when we read this text, what we end up seeing is a principle that we need to believe and to cling to. And it's simply this, the pain that you live with is the place Jesus willingly wants to touch. The pain that you live with is the place that Jesus willingly wants to touch. See, we're going to see this play out, and we're going to see the heart of our Savior. And so, we what we're going to see is uh, we're going to look at three areas that Jesus has a heart for the outcast, Jesus has a, a heart for the outsider, and that Jesus has a heart for the overlooked. So let's look and let's start with the outcast. We're going to look at the first four verses. When we see this, we see that Jesus comes down off the mountainside and that there's these large crowds that are following him. They're walking behind him. They're going to where he is. And notice what is said in verse 2. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him, and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, when we see this, there's something that strikes me. That when you have a mission and you want to bring other people along on that mission, you are going to gather people with a lot of gifts to basically pursue that and fulfill that. In fact, in our world, We live in a a culture where we often look at the outside of people, and we want to bring the the pretty, the beautiful, the good-looking around to pursue this mission and to, to go after a mission, and we hope that they have gifts so that we can accomplish what we're going towards. But we have limited perspective. We have faulty eyes. But then we see what Jesus does, and notice who is coming to him. It's not who we would have chosen to be the people that are coming to to see what this mission is about and to see who are going to be the vocal pieces of this mission. But it ends up that there is a leper that comes to him. The first person is a leper. Someone that is filthy, filthy. This social outcast is the first to approach Jesus boldly and humbly and desire and have a a, a need. And he brings this to Jesus. Now notice what takes place. Uh, The leper, he takes some bold steps. And if you're reading this and you don't understand some of the background, this leper comes and basically he ends up breaking the rules. He ends up making himself, he comes through the crowd and he shouldn't have been by the crowd. And he makes his way through and what does he do? He immediately kneels. He, he gets down and he, he kneels before the Savior. And he ends up uh, doing this and it's something that should have never happened. If you look at Leviticus 13.46. I want you to see what, uh, what the scriptures say there. I think we're going to have it on the screen. Here it is. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone and they must live outside the camp. See, this man was an outcast. He was somebody that got this disease of leprosy and he was sent away and he comes through the crowd And he comes before the Savior. Now, if this leper was following the guidelines, a leper would often have this disease on his skin. And he would walk around. His clothes would be torn. He would have the bottom half of his face covered. So a mask put around him. And everywhere he walked, when there were people, he would have to yell, unclean, unclean, every single place he went. Now, thankfully, we didn't do that through COVID. (laughs) But I think of that, the time period when it was at its height, and I think of what it would be like for this man if we had to do that similar thing. See, he was a social outcast. He was alone. He lost relationship, lost community. And he comes, and and what we end up finding is that through scripture, leprosy was often considered incurable. But this guy, this outcast, believes that Jesus has the power to heal him. So notice what happens. This request, it's humble. And he he believes that Jesus has this ability. And notice that he doesn't really ask. He doesn't make a request necessarily. He ends up, he basically makes a statement. Read it. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He doesn't say, would you please do this? He makes this statement. If you're willing. So, What we have to understand is that this outcast has nothing to show that he is worthy of this. He has nothing to bring. But then what we find is incredible beauty. Look at verse 3. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now, this isn't the healing Notice, the the healing isn't at this point. But Jesus ends up reaching out and touching him. And why would our Savior do something like this? Because if you touch him, there's a chance that 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 disease is going to get on you. And and then you would be an outcast. And, And why would he do this? See, Jesus... What we found in the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus had authority in word. And so all Jesus would have to do is say the word and the man would be clean. And yet Jesus takes this step of reaching out and touching the unclean. And so everybody around this crowd that's following is probably thinking, and in that moment, now Jesus is unclean. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to Jump to the last verse we read. Look at verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. So Jesus ends up touching this guy because he is now living out the prophecy that said this is exactly what he would do. And so through his heart, this heart that he has, he ends up bringing this physical touch of love to him. Now get this, he is bringing a touch to a man that probably hasn't felt a physical touch for a long, long time. And he touches him. And then he says the words, I am willing, be clean. And it's in that moment, in the words that he says, that the leper was immediately healed. Now, this is uh, uh, one of those times where I wonder what it was like. Like, did he have scales that basically fell off of him? Or was he like in the movies where like there's like this pixie dust that spins around him and all of a sudden his skin is radically transformed? We don't know. It doesn't say what happened. It just says that immediately this miracle takes place. And then Jesus uh, ends up saying something really strange. He says, don't tell anyone. Now, I don't understand that. You have a crowd following you. Don't tell anyone, but look at what happens. He ends up saying, go show yourself to the priest and follow what the Old Testament law says. Now here's why. Jesus is going to live by the Old Testament law and he's going to ask his people to live by the Old Testament law because he hasn't gone to the cross yet. He hasn't fulfilled the law yet. So he's actually telling this guy to do something that he should do. But the reason he's telling him to do it is because the first one, that the first person is not like some famous person that's going to be a testimony to who Christ is. The first one is a leper that's going to testify to the priest. The priest that should recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he goes, and he ends up uh, going to the priest there. Now, when we look at this, it makes me ask these questions. How long was this man a leper? How long has it been since a, a family member touched him, or since he has held a hand, or since he's given a high five? How long has it been since he was uh, around other people uh, where he could just sit in community? How long has he been yelling, unclean, unclean? How long has his life been a life of an outcast? And yet Jesus comes. And what we find is that Jesus ends up bringing Not only physical restoration, but he ends up bringing social restoration. See, once this man goes to the priest, he's now reinstated back into community. See, Jesus has a heart for us to be together, to be around one another. And he's saying, I'm going to meet this physical need, and I want to meet this social need. And then what we see is in this text is is basically that at the beginning, when the leper comes, he keeps this this distance to some regard. There's this uh, social distance that he is keeping. But what we find is that Jesus is the one that closes the distance, just like he has done with you. Jesus is the one that reaches out. And what we see is that Jesus doesn't catch the leprosy. He ends up passing on the purity and the health to the leper. This is a miracle of the Son of God coming and passing on the power of God into this outcast and bringing about healing. Now, I don't know about you, but I have not read anywhere else in Scripture that ends up telling me what the leper's faith was like. Notice that it doesn't say that this leper, like, was an incredibly devout Jew that had incredible faith or anything like that. He just came. He came as he was, right in front of Jesus. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And the reason is because this miracle doesn't happen because of the quality or the quantity of the leper's faith. It happens because the faith is put in the power of the healer. It's because he knows that Jesus is uh, uh, is this one that can end up bringing healing. And even the weakest faith that is put in in the strength of Christ is a faith that is put in the right place. Biblical commentator Frederick Bruner ends up saying this about Jesus. He says, Jesus will not storm Israel with his messianic claim. He will not knock quietly at its door, leper by leper, little by little. See, Jesus has a heart for the outcast. Because he knows that the pain that you live with is the place that he wants to willingly touch. So we see that Jesus has a heart for the outcast. Now we need to see that Jesus has a heart for the outsider. Look at the next uh, section, verses 5 through 13. We end up seeing this uh, in the town of Capernaum, this uh, centurion that ends up coming. This is an interesting section of the text. As I was studying, I was thinking back. uh, About 12 years ago, I took a team uh, of students to Joss, Nigeria. My brother-in-law and sister-in-law are missionaries there, and they work with the outcasts. And so we, uh, we went and thinking that we were going to bring encouragement to the people there. As the trip went by and as I started meeting uh, more parents and, and families and we would go into homes and we would spend time there, we ended up seeing the poorest of the poor. The ones that had like life circumstances just were incredibly brutal. And yet, these people wanted to share their heart with us. And so they ended up giving to us what they really didn't have to give to us. They were giving the, the, the food that they needed. They wanted to fix a meal for us and so they're giving this to us and they're, they're sharing their heart and these poor people out of the generosity of their heart is giving to outsiders. Giving to people that, that look different than them. I mean, as you can tell, I have no ounce of tan in my skin. We looked totally different We spoke totally different. We had different life experiences. We had different circumstances. There was nothing in common. I was an outsider, and yet they welcomed me, and they loved me. And then we see what takes place in verses 5 through 7. Jesus uh, has this centurion And he comes asking for help and he says, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? See, culturally, outsiders are often viewed through a skeptical lens. We do it. And we have this, this, uh, this lens that we look through, and then what we end up seeing is when we look at Jesus, he has this centurion come, and the reason this is incredible is because this is a Gentile. This is not a Jew. So for uh, this man to come, he comes, and with this crowd following, there had to be extreme ethnic tension that was taking place in this scene. Now a Gentile is coming to this Jew, and the Jews shouldn't give time to Gentiles. They're at odds. So that you know, this centurion was probably a really strong man. He was part of the Roman army, and he was in control, or he led anywhere from 60 to 80 soldiers The soldiers that were under his command, the centurion's command, were often the the core strength to the Roman Empire. And so this was a guy that, that he kind of went up the ranks, and the further he went up in the ranks, the more money he would get. And so wealth would come about, and he would eventually move into another class system. He would move into the upper class system, which meant that he had slaves. And so the centurion comes and and what we end up reading in Luke 7, which is uh, the same story. In Luke 7, it says that the Jewish elders actually spoke for this guy and said, this is a man that loves the nation of Israel. In fact, he helped us build our synagogue. So this guy is different. This guy actually cares for his servant. And so what, what's fascinating is that when a servant or a slave of, of a centurion like this would get sick, they would just let them die because they would just go buy another one. But this centurion comes and has this care and he he's wanting him to come in or to heal and Jesus says, Shall I come and heal him? And what is fascinating is Jesus is breaking another barrier. He's breaking a boundary because the moment that Jesus would enter a Gentile's home, Jesus would be declared unclean. They weren't supposed to mix. And so Jesus says, Shall I come and heal him? Because he is wanting this centurion to declare what he needs. And yet the centurion is probably thinking, this is a devout Jew. He doesn't want to enter my home because that would make him unclean. Or he's probably thinking, I am inferior to the power that this man, Jesus, has. And notice what he says. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. Remember, the last several weeks we have heard about the authority of Jesus' word. And now this Gentile ends up saying the same thing. You have authority. He compares the authority to the authority that he has. But what he ends up doing is he's making a statement of Jesus. He believes that Jesus has authority in word and in presence, in sickness and in brokenness. And he's basically saying, You have the power and authority to be omnipotent, omnipotent, and omnipresent. And because you have the power that can be anywhere and everywhere, just say the word. This outsider was despised by many of the Jews. He was an outsider. And he sees in this Jew something different. Now, this type of healing, what this Gentile is saying, was unheard of in ancient Judaism. I mean, you had to be present to heal. And he's saying something radically different. And Jesus is absolutely struck. He's in awe of this Gentile's faith. And he ends up saying, this is, this is different faith than I've seen in all of Israel. And Jesus ends up using the faith of this outsider to declare something that has been a part of scripture for all time. He ends up going back to the Old Testament and to Abraham. And, and if you remember, God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to make sure that all nations are blessed through you. Meaning that he's now saying that this Gentile, the faith that this Gentile has is actually this opening for the Jews to open their eyes that Gentiles and Jews would sit at the table, the feast table in the kingdom of heaven. Now for you and for me, I just got to tell you, I'm not a Jew. This, this scene here says, Phil, you're included in that. This is a joyous, joyous celebration of what Jesus is saying. And what he's saying is, entrance is not based on your ethnicity. It's based on who you place your faith in. So just because you're a Jew does not mean that you get into the kingdom of heaven. And so he ends up making a a radical claim that there's going to be Jews, non-believers, that end up not entering the kingdom of heaven. But that this Gentile, this type of faith will. And then the text says, and this is what's amazing it's like it's just kind of, Matthew just kind of puts it in there right at the end of this scene. And his servant was healed at that moment. It's just kind of like a byproduct. <laughs> see, what the miracle is amazing, but what we see in this scene is that everything that happened before the miracle took place is the heart of our Savior. Jesus has a heart for the outsider. The centurion, the Gentile, sees Jesus as the hope for deliverer that Israel should have recognized. And he's he's got a heart that has this heart for the outsider and wants to welcome them into his presence. And I want to remind you that you are an outsider. And Jesus' heart is for you to be welcomed into his presence. So we see the outcast, the outsider, but we also then see in this text that Jesus has a heart for the overlooked. We see this in verses 14 and 15 and uh, we find that Jesus enters the home of Peter, one of his disciples and what's amazing is that this scene uh, this miracle that takes place only uses two verses in our text. Look at what it says. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother in law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. Now uh, for some reason Matthew includes this miracle here for some reason he puts two verses into this text but what's funny is that when we get to this portion of chapter 8 again we don't see a request being made the leper didn't really ask a question centurion didn't ask a question And there's no question that's being asked here. What we notice is that he just enters the home of Peter. So Peter's not even making a request for his mother-in-law. Now we're not going to make any mother-in-law jokes right now. But what we see is that there's nothing said. All we see is the movement of our Savior. And he goes to this woman. And again, he reaches... And he touches her. And in the moment of that touch, a miracle takes place and healing happens. Now, why are these two verses significant? Why am I saying that Jesus has a heart for the overlooked? Well, it's because what Jesus does here is he breaks another barrier, (laughs) He has a heart for the overlooked to look down upon because this was a woman. In this cultural system, this should not have happened. Um, devout Jew- Jewish men would have these 18 benedictions that they would pray. I want to read one of them to you. And I clearly want you to understand that this is something that, was prayed this is not my prayer okay but this is what the jewish men would pray lord i thank thee that i was not born a slave a gentile or a woman that's that's intense and so women were overlooked and they were seen as a possession they weren't seen valuable and Jesus enters this home, and he reaches out, and he touches her. And by rabbinic regulations, that would have made Jesus unclean. In all three of these miracles, what we find is what Jesus is supposed to, what should have happened is that Jesus was un, should have been unclean, and he's not. So he ends up, he goes, and the fever ends up leaving her. What's funny is that there's other places in Scripture that we see Jesus talking to women or uh, uh, women coming to him, and he ended up being in these situations where he's having these conversations, and what he is doing is he's breaking down the walls of discrimination against women. He's saying, This is one of my daughters. This is one of my sisters. This is who my heart is for. He's saying that the overlooked are welcomed into his kingdom. Now, what's amazing is her response notice that we don't know her name. She ends up getting up and it says, the text says that she started to wait on him or serve him. And what's interesting is that the the Greek verb that is used there is diakoneo. And that verb was regularly used in referring to people that were in Christian service. And so Matthew uses this verb there and he's making a point. He's adding um, in this text when, when he ends up saying, began to wait on him. Now Mark and Luke ends up saying that she ended up waiting on them. But Matthew is trying to make a point here. He's saying that she was healed And that this healing was part of her discipleship process. That she instantly got up and because she recognized the healing and the eyes that she was looking into was her savior. That from that day on, she served him as one of his disciples. Like you and me. She wasn't one of the 12, but she's saying, I'm following Jesus. I just met the one that brings healing to me. And so what we find here in this scene is that the overlooked was living to look like her healer. She wanted to live for him. So why does Matthew put these three miracles here? Why is he writing this? Well, it's because Matthew is showing us that Jesus has come. And like in Psalm 147, it ends up saying that that he is going to bring the exiles and the outcasts into the true kingdom of heaven. Where Jesus is Savior, the Savior King, and that that Savior King has a heart for all. Because the pain you live with is the place Jesus willingly wants to touch. So, what do these miracles have to do with us? Well, I want you to look at verses 16 and 17. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Notice, it wasn't the popular that were coming to Jesus. It wasn't the famous that were coming to him. Verse 16 says that the demon possessed and the sick were brought to him. See, the king's mission comes with a savior's heart to transform the faith of the ones that that knelt before him, that were in need. What Matthew is telling us is that you and I are his mission. And instead of ignoring our needs, he has a heart for our sin and our brokenness to turn outsiders, to turn outcasts, to turn the overlooked into disciples that follow him. So I want to give you just a couple action items that I believe come out of this text. The first one is this. If you're in need, maybe it's a broken relationship, maybe it's the sickness or disease that you're battling right now, whatever it is, I want to encourage you to humbly run to Jesus and to ask, to make your request Jesus is a healer, and like Katie said earlier, he is either going to heal now or he's going to heal in eternity, but wherever it is, he is bringing healing. And So if that's you, I want you to be persevering in that ask. The second thing is this. Trust that the will of Jesus is best in all circumstances. In order for you to do that, you're going to need people around you. I believe that it's those people who brought their, their loved ones, their friends, their family, the demon-possessed and the sick were the ones that were saying his will is better than, than your will. His will is perfect in all circumstances. And so let's trust in that. And third is that if you know of people that are in need, people that are sick, that are, are going through a hard time, you need to be people that bring those that need healing and the saving power of Jesus, you need to bring them to Jesus in prayer. You need to be praying for them constantly. You need to not only just be talking, but be praying. And going before our Savior and saying, Lord, would you please do this? See, disciples are those that become like the one that they follow. And the one that we follow has a heart for the outcast, the outsider, and the overlooked. So I want to remind you, the pain you live with is the place that Jesus willingly wants to touch. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this text. And what I'm blown away with is that not only are the miracles absolutely incredible, but it's that your heart comes through. That your heart is for us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be disciples that rely on you. That trust you. That boldly and humbly come and make our requests. That we seek you in all the seasons of our life. And when the pain is there, that we would come before you. We would kneel before you. And if we know those around us that, that need this healing, that we would bring them. Before you. Please move in us. May we be a group, a family that is constantly doing this because we are so drawn to your heart. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, we're going to do something. We've talked as a team about this. We're going to do something that might be uncomfortable. But I believe that we have people that enter here every week that at some point of their life, they need healing, whether that's for relationships or because of a sickness that they're battling, whatever it may be. And that might be you. And if that's you, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. But you're not going to stand alone by yourself, okay? And if you see someone that is standing, I want you to go up to that person, find out what they're battling, and you're going to pray over them. You might not know them. This might be a stranger to you. It's all right. We're family here. But we're going to actually pray for healing. We're going to pray for wisdom. We're going to pray for our church family. Now, there might not be somebody standing by you and, and you might need to just stand and pray with someone next to you for, uh, for someone that you know that isn't here today that needs that healing and that you're going to pray that Jesus would move. And we're going to trust that Jesus is going to bring healing in his time and that his will is going to be done. And so we're going to do that while we're led in psalm and you can eventually join in psalm or or you can just pray this entire time. But we want to take time to actually live this out here in our church family. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you if you need prayer, that you just stand and then real quickly, so they're not alone. I'm going to ask people to gather around. Okay. All right. So, if you need some of that prayer for you right now, please stand. And please gather around uh, those people right now, okay? Let's go to worship. Feel
2: free to keep the around each other. It's different but it's good we want to be a family we're not just a big church we're a family of people who love the Lord love each other and it's okay to be uh, with people you don't know and praying for their situation ask them what they need for prayer for take some time to talk for just a minute and if you walk and you don't know that's okay then just pray God knows and that's enough choir is going to sing a song that's new, but it underlines all these things. Christ is mine forevermore, forevermore. He is. It's beautiful to see the church praying for each other. If you're online, just know uh, this is a special day at Wheaton Bible Church. Let's sing.
3: Everybody stand with me for the benediction. I want to read this to you from Psalm 147. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exilers of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is the Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. So Father, we pray. I pray for our brothers and sisters here that are in need of healing, that you would move in powerful ways, that you would open up their eyes to what you want to do that your glory would be seen in their life. And so, Lord, we give them to you. We ask that you would encourage them today. Make us the disciples that have a heart for others the way that you have a heart for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Wheaton Bible, thanks for worshiping with us. Have a great week. I should say this too. If you would like prayer uh, with one of our staff, we will be up here up front. And one of our staff will be praying with you if you'd like that.